I'm a jump on king And I'm on the run Me and a friend of mine We were headed for the sunshine I got my hands on the wheel I got gas in the tank I got a suitcase full of money From a Luxembourg bank We didn't stop till we got to Big Cypress Wandered into the Legion Hall The sign outside said Seminole Bingo Fell in love with the ping pong balls and Welcome back to Excitable Boys. This is uh, a, a Joker Men presents Excitable Boys. Yes. We're joined by Stephen Hyden once again. Hello. And, and we're we're the three of us, the the Excitable Boys three are here to talk about everyone's. How many <laughs> albums did he do? Ten, uh, twelve, something. Everyone's eleventh like favorite. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not me, man. I'm, no, not everyone. I'm joking. It's the it's the one for real connoisseurs of Warren Zevon of Warren Zevon music. Uh, it's Mutineer. 1995's Mutineer. Is it fair to call this the most Jokerman Warren yes. Zevon album? Yeah, 100. percent This is the this, most. Yeah. It's either this or Transverse City, uh, and each yeah. in their own kind of way. Transverse City yeah. is the most Jokerman in that it's like the Empire Burlesque of his career, and this is the most Jokerman in that it's like the good as I've been to you of yeah, his career. This is the good as I've been to you. And I, I think Or like the knocked you know, knocked out loaded, I knocked feel out like loaded, it, yeah. It'd be there. Although I, I think like it's better it's, than knocked out loaded. Totally. I like, it, I like it more than knocked out loaded. I like it's, thinking it's, of it as the good as I've been to you of his career because it really has this feeling of like one guy doing everything. And yes. I don't know if is that true? But it, it just feels like for the most part, like I think a one he, man band. Yeah, I think that he recorded. He basically just did demos on his own, and then he brought in some ringers to do overdubs. Like yeah, David you can Lindley. you can tell. And Bruce Hornsby <laughs> on the accordion. I mean, I I I understand the analogy to "Good as I've Been to You" because he's doing it by himself. But I think the sound of this record, um, I oh, would it's like, a very it, loose analogy. Uh, yeah, it does not sound like that. <laughs> the, the sound of this record, I would, I would like into '80s Dylan because it's a sound that I think was was bad for a long time, but now I think is good. So it, yeah, it's so fascinating that it's good. Like I was listening to songs on this record, and I kept thinking about the last Low record. Hey, what? Mm. Yeah. Like there's songs on here that remind me of that, like how on the low record it just sounds like it was deliberately constructed to make the song sound like they were disintegrating as you're listening to it. And that was on purpose. I don't think Warren did that on purpose on this album, but like that's what it sounds like to me at times. It's and, so and crazy. I love that I love that aspect of it. It's like yeah. the ugliest sounding music that you can possibly imagine, but in like a really compelling way. Well, it's sort of like how sort of some of like Sophie and PC music that that stuff incorporates um, incorporated sounds that were just like ridiculous, like goofy, like computer, uh, like keyboard preset sounds that or or strange sound effects that would kind of just be like th- they are ugly sounds, and then they would just be like, 
a prominent feature in a song. <laughs> that happens uh, kind of specifically on the second song here. Um, oh man! But no. um, I don't know if well, we want to go to that right away. That's let's, like let's one of my. <laughs> Before I mean, we get to the music, even, which I'm curious is... to know how you're going to finish that sentence. But let's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, maybe I won't say. But Not yet. Uh, I. I I just want to. Before we get to the music, which is definely ugly in many cases, uh, we got to talk about the cover because we didn't talk about the cover on Sentimental Hygiene. This cover fucking rocks. I honestly think, like, looking at, like, no man has ever looked better than this picture of Warren Zevon in 1995 with the Ray Bans on the open seas with the stubble. This is just an absolutely incredible visage. Yeah, and he has, like, a deep tan where it's almost a sunburn. Oh, God, he looks good. He's got that deep. Florida type tan. Yes, he, he looks like a character actor to me. Like he just looks <laughs> like a guy. The play, the play. background too, just like that. He's like on vacation. It looks like he's like on vacation. It's just a weird crop of like a like a, a snapshot photo that has like three other people in it or something. I was gonna say like I, it was probably him and like some dudes in like Ron John like those Ron Johnson like or the long like. Oh man, I'm I'm totally. Yeah, I think know, Ron John is right. It's surf. Is it Ron John? Yeah, surf shot. Or no, I, was th- I was thinking of Big Johnson, the Big Johnson shirts. That's what I was trying to get to. Do you remember Johnson. Big John? You guys are probably <laughs> no. too young to remember the Big Johnson. Isn't that an t-shirts. Austin Powers joke? <laughs> it might be, but yeah, it's just you know two dudes like they're gonna hit the Jimmy Buffett uh, hotel in in Key West. Uh, yeah, after... I feel like he's wearing a Life's Good T-shirt and uh, has like a beer or like one of those T-shirts with like a gecko on it. I think it's like a big dog's T-shirt and the and it's the dog at like a computer and says like can't fix stupid and he's the yeah, dog's like yeah. making a like an yeah. angry kind of face. <laughs> and then it, the... it looks like he's in Hawaii and this fucking font on the side is so cool, so good, so it, this sick. Is, it makes it into my favorite Warren Zevon cover album cover. Well, <laughs> yeah have you have you guys seen the back cover yeah it's awesome i don't think where, i have it's really cool uh, i'll hold it up to the zoom here like he's like shirtless oh my god and his nipples are protruding he looks sick and and the background of that photo is kind of like a um like a, a ship's like a like a yacht's navigation system or something is it not like a nautical navigation chart Oh yeah, yeah, that's the graphic. Yeah, like the print. I mean, I, the I, way the way this is set up, it is setting you up to expect this album. Pirates to be his, album. Well, yeah, his Jimmy Buffett uh, right. pivot that he's just going to be writing happy-go-lucky songs with like steel drums and um, and it's not that at all. I and I love that he's setting you up for something he's not going to deliver. You said a couple times that this is like an ugly-sounding record, you know. Guided by Voices is one of my favorite bands of all time. I, I consider this to be his Guided by Voices record uh, because because <laughs> it, it's lo-fi. It came out the same year as Alien Lanes, so maybe oh, uh, that's that's funny. Jeez, maybe I someone didn't make that connection. Maybe Alien Lanes seems like it came out earlier, but I guess no. There's '95, so oh. you know maybe someone slipped Warren B thousand, and he was like, "I want to make a record that sounds like that." Right. Uh, I could see Warren Zevon and Robert Pollard. Having a good time together. And maybe not at this time in his life. Warren's even cleaned up, but could have been fun. Yeah, it he might... couldn't uh, keep up with Pollard with the uh, 30 beers a night sort of routine. This is like what that would be in my my dreams, like where I'd be hanging out with Warren Zevon and Robert Pollard and right. <laughs> Miller High Life. 
<laughs> you know that that's the kind of dreams I have. You're speaking our language, Stephen. Yeah. Well, uh, let's well, let's jump into the let's take uh, a look. The first song. Seminole I'm a junk bond king. <laughs> Seminole bingo. Uh, his smash hit success uh, as debuted on the David Letterman program across the nation in 1995. Everyone's favorite Warren Zevon song, Seminole Bingo. And sort co-written of... with the great Florida novelist Carl Hyacin. Yes. And and it feels like one of his novels. Like it feels it, This is kind of like his Jimmy Buffett type material. It's just what Warren Zevon would do with that. Right. Which is make a song about like some kind of low rent uh chiseler who's uh run off to Florida to escape some like Shady business dealings. He's like a like a he, finance criminal fleeing yeah. down to uh, old Florida way. And, yeah, and yeah. coming after you, you know, we just talked about sentimental hygiene, uh, which th- doesn't it's have a, a lot of songs title. like this. You know, like where this is classic. You know, uh, Zevon, like the kind of songs he was writing for, like the Envoy and Bad Luck Streak and Dancing School. These, right. uh, you know, dirt bags on the run type songs which i love you know lawyers guns and money you know being the archetype i guess for for this kind of song on that note but there's this other thing that i wonder if it has anything to do with the picture uh here if he might be in hawaii on the cover because there was a video that used to be on youtube i cannot find anymore and it was him talking about like he plays lawyers guns and money acoustic and he says like i wrote this song on wet cocktail napkins after a night of obscene and obscure mischief. And uh, I learned one thing from the experience. Uh, I never take vacations. And I cannot find that anymore. Well, no. If anyone out there has it, send it our way. You keep saying Hawaii. I, I, I mean, I think this is like a Florida record. And maybe that's because he wrote two songs with Carl Hyacin, right. know, the, the famous... Uh, florida dude but like the the cover i i don't get hawaii from that i get florida yeah i, I see florida Flor- yeah i i see but florida and the characters also on this right just don't have like there's there's something really skeevy and kind of right like, like uh, the music is ugly the characters are, are kind of ugly as well uh and so that is that's definitely more of like a like a florida panhandle kind of vibe than uh the fabulous isle of maui or something so yeah i guess it is uh Maybe it is Florida, not Kauai. But in uh, any we, case, I need to need find to that, that video. Uh, let's get to the next song. Um, <laughs> something bad happened to a clown. I'm going to say straight up, I, I love this song. Yes. I like it too. Incredible I'm a huge song. fan of the song. I was afraid you would say it's bad. No, hell no. And this was one of the songs when I was talking about, like, low, hey, what? It, this. It does. They have a song on that that does sound like this kind of. There's a song called "All Night" on Hey yes. What that, that reminded me when I when I was listening to this album again. I was like, oh, this reminds me of that low song, um, and wow, this I, is why I, we love to have you on because I never would have put, thought about that, but it is kind <laughs> of similar in, it, a, in a way. It's great, and you know, and I'll just say I I like the production on this record. You know, in some ways. This production is easier for me to get into than like the really slick seventies stuff sometimes. Sure. Like that like that LA rock mm-hmm. thing. Which I mean yeah. I love that, but sometimes I, I think when I was younger, 
that was hard. Like when I was in my twenties, that was harder for me to wrap my head around just because it was so antithetical to like the indie rock and alt rock that I right, right. was raised on. And this is more like, Oh, it's like Warren Zevon if he was like making indie rock in the nineties, like just a right. like grimy. To, to me, it's like he's making like bedroom pop or like bedroom like demo music, which is what's happening here. Like, it reminds me a lot of this record I have here, one of my favorite records. Oh yeah, is that a Martin Rev Martin record? Rev. Yeah, that that Martin Rev solo record, which is so intimate and like close to the mic. It's just one. This really is the sound of one guy making these songs with like midi instruments and like that that dead giveaway comes with that on this song which is absolutely the sound of someone programming like a little drum thing themselves you know oh yeah and it's so like i feel like we should the sound of a man alone making this music i was just gonna say i feel like we should you know, explain like why he made the record this way because you know this was a low point really in his career. He had, you know, he made Sentimental Hygiene in '87, then Transverse City comes out '89. That's not very successful. And by the '90s, he was doing these tours by himself and uh, playing guitar a lot, which is kind of weird, right? For Warren Zevon, you think of him as a piano player, but he put out that live record, Learning to Flinch, which is really great, which comes from that period where he was just touring by himself and i think this album was like an outgrowth of that because he probably couldn't afford you know to have a band in the studio or to have people record these parts so um i don't know if it's a choice or if it's just something he did out of necessity to make the album this way well i think that's part of what makes it so compelling is like it's such a weird like uh, just like yeah again whether whether it was by uh, necessity or a choice or some combination thereof like coming from the guy who ran with Jackson Brown and Fleetwood Mac and uh the Eagles and stuff and you know made some of the most beautiful kind of orchestral lush classic sounding you know rock and roll um like this is what this is what he's doing in 1995 and like then there's not even another record after this for like five more years it's just such a weird like just like completely like singular off in its own corner of the fucking cul-de-sac record. Um, it almost sounds like on something bad happened to a clown in particular and a couple other songs as well. Like it almost sounds like there's like an instrument, like a, just like an instrumental track that's been deleted from the, from the um, logic file or something. Like it, there's just like some, there, there isn't enough music in the music in a sense, but it still somehow works. Um, it's very spare, and also the song is just weird. Yeah, like the, the song dan- itself, like what the, the fuck the is going title on? Title is creepy clown song. <laughs> it's something bad happened to a clown. It's about uh, a, evidence of a clown having been killed. This is, a par- this is a perfect example of the let's start with the song title and figure out the rest later right. style of songwriting. <laughs> yeah, and it's not clear exactly if the clown has been killed or if he's just sad or what is going on i have to say though i love the opening verses every touch is measured out every word is written down sunny skies are seldom seen in the land of few and far between and everybody wears a frown like that that's a cool opening and then after that 
he ends up repeating a lot of the same words, but um, yeah, yeah, that part where he goes, "Someone lost this glitting rose." <laughs> right. It's like <laughs> this wow. is an example of a song where I I can't imagine it being with a band. You know, this, right? Yeah, like, good point. Like it's, it's perfectly suited <laughs> for this record, and also the technology that he was working with. I mean, it's the mid '90s. And it's almost like the technology is going out of date as he's making the album. Yes. Yeah. You know? like, it's like, it's like, one of those things where, like, The Dead, when like when I learned this definitely from listening to your podcast, uh, 36 from the Vault, uh, like, in the 90s, they were all about adding, quote, like, color with through, like, MIDI synths and things like that, trying to, like, embrace the sounds that were now possible. And maybe... It seems like Warren Zevon is someone who's like, well, this stuff is really cool. I don't want it just to be like one ingredient in something. Like, why don't I just make something with this that's a whole, it's an album. Like, I can basically just really use this stuff and it'll kind of fill out the fact that I don't have this uh, band that I usually have. And it, it it's really cool how that ends up aging well. Like, you brought up Sophie and PC Music before. And it's almost because artists like that have been able to repurpose these sounds in a postmodern kind of way that you can go back now and appreciate mm-hmm. right. how this record sounds. I think in a way that like, if you had come to this album in 2005, it would almost be unlistenable. Because yeah, you, like haven't, it, you haven't had other yeah. music to teach you how to listen to it to contextualize it yeah totally yeah. like it it it, it it feels like an album like i was fucking three years old in 1995 so who knows if this is actually how i would have felt but it feels like a record that had i listened to it at the time it would have sounded like hopelessly dated like wildly antiquated already uh but listening to it now like it there's there's like almost a cutting edge kind of uh, quality uh, to it you say if you, it would be dated when you first if you heard it when it came out yeah, I, like the, the, I, like in nineteen ninety five, this sounds like a record like straight out of nineteen eighty. This sounds like 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 seven years know. old or something. I feel like it would have felt like pretty current for like an, a really short time, and then it would have just flopped for it's what happened like nobody thought about this well but think about what was i mean you can contextualize this better than we can obviously i was gonna say as someone who was like a teenager (laughs) the one who was there i think i i think i can say that like this record would have sounded super lame in 95 because i like the sounds that were in fashion at that time were guitars, uh, guitars and like more of like a naturalistic type production style which hmm. in a weird way now sounds more dated than like 80s music does sure, like if you totally. if you look at indie music now references 80s music all the time whereas in the 90s a lot of bands were reacting against the 80s and, right yeah you know no synths no gated drums yeah you the know, ringing the, out just big room drums yeah and uh and it's just fascinating to me like how sounds go in and out of fashion because sometimes something that doesn't sound fashionable now will sound fashionable in, in 10 years you exactly know? like and uh and we've seen that um i mean bob dylan is a great example of that like there's <laughs> lots of records of his Good point that um sound great now you know yeah. or, or at least interesting and they were 
you know, people like Empire Burlesque, I think is like a record that I think is pretty interesting. Um, and it sounded horrible for about 20 years. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like think about this record. This is 95, right? So like this can't like this compared to like Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, which came out a year or, before this. Or even like a record like Wildflowers, Tom Petty. Sure. Someone who's like roughly, you know. Contemporary-ish. Yeah, Warren's Yvonne's. Yeah. Is that 95? That was 94. Yeah, and that's a record that still sounds pretty fresh, I think. It sounds great, but, you know, like working with Rick Rubin, obviously like a live in the studio type sound, or like the Neil Young albums that he was making at that time. Um, even like Bob, you know, when he went into Time Out of Mind, which is a few years after this, right. with, with Lanois, um, you know, that has a lushness to it and uh, a depth of sound that this album doesn't have at all. I mean, I think Zevon would have had a hard time anyway because he was just like a man out of time right? in the 90s. Like there was very little about him that would have been fashionable at that time. Um, well, yeah, let, this let's is one that is on really the next song, the unless we have anything more to say about something bad happened to a clown. Uh, no, let's go to your ass song. It's about the Joker. song, but great. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I, I, I thought of John, I always think of John Wayne Gacy when I, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> kind of spooky. Um, Speaking similar spooky, to Rain, the, the way this song starts is also like really spooky. God, this, the, 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 this album, these being the first three songs on this album, is just like absolutely wild shit to me. Like this guy who wrote Werewolves of London and Excitable, but just like some of the most like infectious riffs in all of rock and roll history. And it's Seminole Bingo, something happened to a clown, something bad happened to a clown, and now Similar to Rain to start this right. Just not similar at all Rain, concerned about like melodic music or anything catchy or exciting. It's so <laughs> badass. Very like eerie, discordant nursery rhyme type ballad at the beginning. Once upon a time, these stories always start. There lived a handsome prince, and he had a happy heart. And a princess, too. She was a beautiful kid. She said she'd never leave him, but she did. Sometimes love is wet and just as hard to hold love can make you sad and blue if you don't watch out he's in a in a hushed tones telling this fairy tale about relationships falling apart <laughs> Sometimes love is wet and cold. It's similar to rain, just as hard to hold. I love the title of "Similar to Rain." Though. Another great title. It sounds like a war on drugs song. The, the yeah, uh, it the does. Because you got the rain reference. That's a I good mean, point. I, yeah. I mean, I actually feel like Seminole Bingo is the closest thing. Well, there's other songs on here that are pretty. I think in the Warren Zevon. Yeah, we'll get there to those songs. Yeah. Seminole Bingo I, isn't as much a de- of a departure to me as like these next two songs. Like, the, it definitely is a vibe. Sure here yeah where um yeah there's not um 
humor that's overt. I mean, it's sort of I so, something bad happened to a clown is like so bizarre that I think there's maybe some dark humor there, even though there's not any like punchlines. I mean, the really title itself is so just like out there that like you kind of crack a smile just hearing that phrase alone. But yeah, similar to Rain is like yeah, that's like pretty straight up melancholy. Yeah, yeah. And the song I think develops into being a, a really nice ballad. It just has a really weird beginning. Um, I I really like this song actually. I I think that there's something kind of special about it, and it has all these really strange synths all through it, and like harp type sounds mm-hmm. and. It, in a weird way, it does sound current, and it does have a little bit of that like PC music flavor, uh, because that stuff has that '90s computer music palette has kind of come back around to being like, uh, it, it's it's cool again. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this yeah. music sounds like something that would have been made by someone, or that could be made by someone on a MacBook these days, and it just so happens to have been made by Warren Zevon in his probably like not super up to date home studio thirty years ago. How, yeah, how old it, was he when he made this? Uh, he would have been, you know, close to fifty, right? Because he was born in forty seven. This was ninety five. Yeah, forty so eight. Yeah. So definitely, definitely middle-aged, solidly middle-aged at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in a weird way, this seems like a record that, like if I was trying to turn on like an indie rock fan who's like 19, this in a weird way would maybe be an album I would reach for before Excitable Boy mm-hmm. or like the self-titled debut, even though, even though those are like more famous records and certainly the debut has... It's like wall-to-wall classic sound songs, um, but just because of the sound of this record, I feel like it might be in a weird way more approachable. It, you know, if you would maybe sell it as like a found art type record <laughs> or like a private press record, you know, right, yeah. it almost has that kind of vibe to it. Uh, the next song I think is um, probably like. Well, other than the title track, this would be the closest thing to like a classic yes. song on yeah. this record. Indifference of Heaven. Time marches on. Time stands still. Time on my hands. Time to kill Blood on my hands And my hands in the till Down at the 7-Eleven Gentle rain Falls on me All life falls back Into the sea And this is a song that I think took on a new life when he performed it live in the same way that mutineer did it mm-hmm. just became like a live standard um the but, indifference of heaven yeah which is like a that's a great title too mm-hmm. yeah He's you know like the philosophical nature of it and he's shouting out celebrity couples yeah Toward bruce and patty song. billy and christy at the yeah. end yeah the first couple times i heard that i was like is he talking about bruce and patty alpha and sure enough that is exactly who he's talking about yeah uh, it's, I, 
it's hard I, to think of like a different Bruce and Patty. Right, know? exactly. <laughs> like Bruce and Patty McDonald, who lived <laughs> near him in Florida, if that's where he was. Great first verse, also. Uh, time marches on, time stands still, time on my hands, time to kill, blood on my hands, and my hands in the till down at the 7 Eleven. Fucking yeah. rocks. That's so bad. That like that is mm, perfect. Yeah, this song I think has that title, and it actually attempts to very very valiantly attempts to live up to that title with really digging into like, the metaphysics of broken relationships and and of kind of just daily life. It, it's a an ambitious song. I don't know what he's saying about Bruce and Billy. Uh, I was going to say Billy Crystal. Um, Billy um, Crystal. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did he say? Like, is he, he, he says they don't live around here. Yeah, they don't live around here. Billy and Christy don't. Bruce and Patty don't. They don't live around here because that comes right after. They say everything's all right. They say better days are near. They tell us these are the good times, but they don't live around here. So, like, are we are we saying that, like, they're lying to us I think us that he's saying he's, or something? Or I think he's, he's saying he's singing terminally song depressed. He's saying yeah. they're not <laughs> depressed like me. They're not living in. They're not living around here. Where everything feels like uh, shit. Yeah. Once again, this is uh, maybe sung from the point of view of a you know North Florida panhandle kind of shit kicker. Yeah. I mean, is he basically saying that there's no God in this song? I mean, yeah. that, that, that seems to be the message. Of well, indifference this, that... of heaven is in it. It's interesting that it's indifference of heaven. Like heaven exists, and it doesn't care about you down there suffering. Yeah. Like, it, whereas to not to, to say like a song about God's not real might imply that there's no heaven to believe in. But this this one, it's interesting because it supposes heaven's real and it sure. just doesn't give a shit about you. Or heaven is for uh, rich people, rich, successful Hev- yeah. people. Heaven right. is for closers. <laughs> yeah, it, it's for Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel, but not for me because Billy yeah. Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're they're playing MSG and I'm, and I'm <laughs> right. They're at MSG and I'm making this record by myself. Making uh, it with this weird yeah. record in my closet studio. Uh, but yeah, this this song itself is great. Um, you know, th- just a really beautiful kind of sparkling guitar riff that uh, that takes you all the way through. Uh, very nice kind of. Um, uh, easy vocal from him. Uh, one of the, one of my favorite songs on the record. No and question that about great it. line. Uh, all that's left is the sound of the front door closing forever. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. Almost kind of Bob esque in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's a really pretty song. It's just good. It's good music. I mean, you got something bad happened to a clown, similar to Rain, and this. So far, I mean, that's that's a pretty good three song we love stretch it. there. Uh, and next? then right here in the middle, Jesus was a crossmaker, a cover um, of someone that I forget who it is. Uh, Judy Sill. Judy, there you go. Thank you f- the, uh, the, uh, for being uh, our fact checker here. And she is a uh, like a cult hero of right. like L.A. folk music. Um, one of those artists that um, never really hit it big at all it's interesting that he would cover this song i feel like this is her most famous song um and uh yeah it's it's just interesting to like look at how this song fits thematically with the rest of the record right 
you know it, it does slot pretty well i think coming after indifference of heaven you know it, it's like another kind of existential song in a way just coming at it from a different direction also a very Zevon-esque kind of take on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a bandit and a heartbreaker. He wages war with the devil with a pistol by his side. He's always chasing him out of windows. He won't give him a place to hide. Like, if if we didn't know that this was a cover of someone, like, it sounds like it, it's... Yeah. The lyric sounds exactly like it would have been written by Zevon himself. Yeah, you guys yeah. going to do a Judy Sill, uh, like, run of episodes on, on Joker Men? Perhaps we should. You gotta dig into Judy. We uh, we we'll, we'll add her to the uh, the scheduling document. We'll we'll uh, we'll have you back for that after we have you on for uh, the Lulu episode. You know, three yeah. years from now. Yeah, she was on Asylum Records. Uh, you know, so she was like in that, with that David Geffen crew, and then she died in 1979. Oh, jeez. Uh, okay. And had drug issues and stuff. So, I feel like that's another. I feel like that would not that would not not be attractive to Warren Zevon. Right. That aspect of her story, you know, that she <laughs> she has she's a, she's a bit of like a tragic case. Tragic L.A. Folknik who died too young as a result of uh, uh, drug use and also wrote you know the song great, where Jesus uh, is a cool cowboy. Yeah, Jesus has a pistol. Like, who fashions <laughs> his own uh, poetic poetically fashions the instrument of his own downfall. Uh, could be, that's could an be interesting title. I mean, Jesus was a cross maker. It's like kind of a sinister and like a uh, heavy title. Like, geez. Yeah. That, yeah. That is really, I don't even know that the rest of the song lives up to that title, but uh, it's, it's a good song. Good song. I, I mean, like Warren Zevon could have written a song about Judy Sill, I, I feel like. Sure. I think she would have been a good character. Uh, for In him. a Warren Zevon song. Yeah. The, the, she has that arc. I I feel like of many Warren Zevon protagonists. Uh, next we've got. Uh, I just want to say before we move on, his voice sounds really good on this, and we haven't even talked about his singing. But I love Warren Zevon's voice, and I love his singing style. But I just really think he he doesn't have a bad uh, vocal performance in his whole repertoire like yeah. i can't really think of one sort of similar to our friend uh our friend van the man uh just in yeah, a sense like say that, what like, you want about him but like he still sounds good well yeah and like his voice is so like as we have covered ad nauseum with with bob voice has gone through so many different modes and changes and inflections and styles and like zevon always just sounds he sounds like, like zevon yeah. van always sounds like you know it's there's something really impressive about that and I do feel like Zevon's voice is one of those things that bonds people together who love him, and it mm-hmm. just repels everybody else. Yes, uh, and I think even I more than than Rep- Dylan, I just think there's something about his voice. It's so unique. I love his voice, um, no. but I don't know. It's I'm trying to find the right word to describe it. It's not like a it's certainly not a conventionally pretty voice. Right. It's not like a traditional like rock singer voice. It's kind of like talk singing a little bit. It's but I don't know. Resonant quality, and then he also does these yelps uh, at times. 
but there's that that kind of like commanding resonant quality to his voice that's really uh i don't know i think that's kind of what everybody loves about it is he's not quite as talk singing as like lou reed but he's like also not like a hundred percent not that at the same time like there's there's something like it's it's like a you know he splits the difference between like that kind of style and then you know just a very melodic like jackson brown kind of uh, yeah approach. He, it's almost like he can croon and talk singing it at the same time right like yeah there's, there's there's like a simultaneous thing going on with his voice it's really hard to describe i think but um it's just like his songs how uh you know, we were talking in the previous episode about how just words come up like randomly that you don't expect to hear uh, in a song. And yeah, yeah, or even on this album, Seminal Bingo. I mean, yeah. Seminal Bingo. Or, yeah. or, or this next song, Poisonous Lookalike. Right. Yeah. Um, this this one, I, I don't know about that turn of phrase because there's a song that comes to mind. I mean, this is a ridiculous comparison to make it's very different but you making a ridiculous comparison (laughs) i'm shocked (laughs) don't hurt my feelings but uh there's a song uh by ian spinonius and his group escapism called uh body snatcher and it's because uh you know we we all know someone who's been body snatched and taken away and then i i think about that song when i listen to this and I think about how that's such a way, a way better way to say poisonous lookalike. <laughs> well, it you makes bo- you got body snatched. It makes me think of uh, Elvis Costello, who I mm. think is fond of cramming a few too many words into a sentence than need to be there. And, and right, and I think early on he did that in a brilliant way. And then Imperial Bedroom. Yeah, you know, there's there's peculiar. so many albums. Yeah, Imperial Bedroom, or uh, I mean, I, I feel like on King of America, there's uh, well, there's, there's a song Poison Rose, I think it's called. Is that right? I'm I think I'm not getting that right. At any rate, this is not one of the stronger songs on the record. No. Do our, yeah, do are we in agreement on that? Yeah, I would, I would say agree. so. Yeah. Sort of just kind of like obtuse and like clanging and not in like a compelling way for some reason. Poisonous lookalike You're not my girl Poisonous lookalike What have you done with her? Poisonous lookalike You're not my girl Poisonous lookalike What have you done? Uh, I think this was one of the singles from the, re- the, 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 the <laughs> really? three singles from this. Al- yeah, I think it was it was um, Rottweiler Blues uh, and then this and then the title track, um, which just Ro- incredible. Rottweiler Blues, man. Uh, I love that. <laughs> uh, incredible, incredible trio triptych of singles. The whole concept of just singles coming out from this record at all, which it should be noted, uh, complete uh, commercial disaster came out on giant records as the company was imploding. Um, and uh, basically just cast him off in, into the wilderness for the next half decade. Uh, you know, it was uh, only through the, the grace of his good friend Dave Letterman uh, that he, like, retained any sort of uh, connection to the popular culture. It is amazing that how, like, David Letterman, how much he stuck his neck out for him because 
to have the best record, friend to his music have, that he ever had, as as yeah, Yvonne himself said. The best friend his music ever had, but yeah. which is so true because the fact that anybody's ever heard this record could, in large part, be attributed to the fact that David Letterman had him on to promote it. Like, yeah, and that Bob no. Dylan covered it in 2002 for well, we'll audience members like Steve. The title track, which is uh, kind of in a class of its own, but. In the meantime, we've got the next track, Piano Fighter. Piano Fighter. Uh, this, again, uh, I think is as as catchy as uh, and, and kind of classical Zevon as you get on this record. Um, despite this, like, weird little, like, toy piano, also got the weird clinky, toy tickly. Thing. Yeah, it's so... That and similar Every terrain. song on this record has just some weird fucking touch to it. It's so yeah. fun. This is, like, where the record starts to drift for me a little bit. I, yeah, I, I think song. it... I think it gets its mojo back by the end of the record, but uh, this one and Poisonous Lookalike are, um, this is where the production is starting to fail the album a little bit because I feel like early in the record, you know, something bad happened to a clown. It's so eccentric that I I feel like, well, I wouldn't want this with a band. It like works better him recording alone. This is the, the kind of song where I'm like, I wish... He was with a band. Wish he had a band. Yeah, that makes sense. It, yeah. it, it sounds a little flat on the record. Is that Maybe like a because kalimba? Of the... is that what that's called? <laughs> that like there's a oh, man that little like dink, dink, a, dink kind of thing. A, a accordion. Yeah, that's Bruce and, Hornsby on the accordion. And all these like little MIDI things that sound like Super Mario sixty four all over <laughs> this record. Is this is this record Warren Zevon's Super Mario Sunshine? I guess. <laughs> I he, guess it is. He's out on the water. This is this is uh <laughs> this is his Luigi's Mansion. Okay. <laughs> uh, Let's talk about um, Rottweiler Blues because I, I yeah let's I feel move like on from Piano Fighter. Maybe. I feel like it, it, he's coming back on this song. I like yes. this song. This song rocks. Song <laughs> feels racist. <laughs> what? Where do you get that from? It's just like maybe like the line like my dog wants to chew on a gangster tattoo and like don't you fucking knock on my door or my in, or my Rottweiler will eat you basically that's uh, what the song's about. Sounds just like a scary guy on a street it, like it's like a like Gran Torino uh, type vibe. Gran Torino. But I mean, do you think he's endorsing that point of view? I just feel like no. This is I mean, I'm example. I'm just saying that's the vibe of this song. It's like uh, whatever the that the song means is cool, is... and he's a guy that we should all emulate, and um, you know, think is a, is a, a morally upstanding character, just like uh, you know Tony Soprano. For instance, it's about a, a, a guy with a scary dog. I I think the song is pretty fun. It's it. The, r- the riff in this song yeah. is so fucking just like bonkers. <laughs> it's well, it is. And this is a song again. This is another collaboration with the. Uh, Carl Hyacin. Hy- you guys know? Do you know Hyacin? You guys? Yeah, I've I've read one of his books like long, long time ago. Yeah, he's like I, the I Florida. He's like the Florida Elmer Leonard. I mean, he's not as good as Elmer Leonard, but right. I guess I guess Elmer Leonard writes things set in Florida. So they I guess Elmer like, Leonard is the Florida Elmer Leonard, but like Florida <laughs> noir stories, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, yeah, it's like crime story set. In, yeah. 
in the sunshine of Florida. And uh, this song references Florida specifically. So I, it just, again, it, it conjures images of, uh, you know, just dirtbags. Yeah, the, the, know, the song itself kind of seems like the, from the perspective of like a paranoid, uh, possibly wealthy man who is like, uh, you know, it's him and his dog against the world. This, I don't know that this guy's wet. This is this sounds like a fucking like meth head who's like living he's in a the, trailer. Got a <laughs> Glock. I don't know. He says skinheads on the golf course. Hunt, yeah, I mean, he just he lives in a trailer next to a golf course. Okay. Yeah, he says got a Glock on the in in the bedside table, machine gun line, uh, leaning by the yeah, bedroom door, Kevlar vest in the closet. Well, sounds I wear, like when I go can, to the store, he has a lot of equipment. Well, yeah, but he, I think he lives in a bad neighborhood. I think that's the idea that this guy, you know, he's like probably living like by a trailer park or in a trailer park and he's just like strapped to the nines. I, yeah. I'm not, this is not a very classy guy. I'm not really getting like rich guy vibes. I'm getting like dirtbag in Florida, uh, you know, wearing like the white undershirt. And exactly. Cut off jean shorts and uh, yeah, maybe you're cooking some... Uh, Cook some drugs. You're gonna drink some drugs. I love the whole trailer. feeling that this album, ha- just like the whole spirit and kind of energy that this album inhabits or like puts out into the world. It's just like very kind of like unnerving and like and like edgy and like again like the the topic matter here. I think suits the music or the music suits the topic matter. It's all just kind of like for the most part just ugly and like like shocking, but like in a in again like in a really compelling manner. It's Really one of a kind, uh, everything here. And there's, you know, this is the kind of song, too, that I think if a lot of songwriters did it, it would be a social commentary type song, you know, right. that he's commenting on, you know, 90s culture. I don't get the sense that this is like a social commentary. <laughs> I think it's not. <laughs> I think it's just like him and Carl, they just are, they get off on the seediness of the yeah. setting, you know. Or, and I, or, I mean, it could be that he just wants people to not. Fu- it, it comes from the perspective of someone who's like on the defense. He's just like, don't fucking, don't, don't, don't come knock up on to my me. door if you don't, don't know my Rottweiler's name. If you don't know my Rottweiler's name, it's a good <laughs> line because it's like you have to know me pretty well to know about my dog to know his name. Uh, this is be I have a relationship with-, with this dog, and if you're not close enough to me to know about that then you're on my list he'll be mauling with intent to maim intent to maim Such a great line. <laughs> i was looking at the uh, liner notes here and the album is dedicated to hst which i assume that's hunter s thompson mm-hmm. yeah because those zivon's boy and is this uh, around the time that he pa- no because he was alive like post 2001 wasn't he yeah, he yeah, just friends. He he died after Zevon did. Oh shit! I didn't realize that. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Well, yeah, because I guess Zevon died just like 2002, three, right? Yeah, it was oh three. Oh three, yeah. Um, yeah, Thompson died in 2005. No. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I think just thinking about that in light of the subject matter in this book. I mean, again. Thompson was certainly a guy that was attracted to seediness for the sake of seediness, I think, a right. lot of the time. And uh, Zivon, I think, had that too. Um, 
Next song, another monkey song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, this one takes that monkey thing to the, this song has some, uh, this whole record has parallels with uh, the one we spoke about last time. Sentimental Do either of you know you start what a monkey seminal... wash donkey rinse is? No. What's that? Do do either of you know what the monkey wash donkey rinse is? No, what is no. that? It's about a monkey beating off a donkey. <laughs> and people pay money to watch this in Morocco. Oh, according no according to the uh the uh fiddler Dave Lindley um who uh was playing on this song uh and Zivon said Exactly what I just said. In Marrakesh, they do this thing where they bring a donkey into a courtyard, and the donkey has a very, very good friend, and this friend is a monkey, and the monkey does certain things that make the donkey very, very happy, and because he's very, very happy, he reacts in certain ways. So the monkey washes, and the donkey rinses. You know, is it fair to make a parallel or a comparison uh, between Zivon and Steely Dan? I feel like this is... Totally. There's like a Steely Dan conceit to a song like this where Absolutely. you're taking well, an obscure reference that's like filthy and it's especially not that it involves Morocco and like animals doing the bad things to, <laughs> to right. each other. That's uh, both of them have something in common with burrows. There's like it, the, the fact of the matter. I don't know that a lot of rock music as we know it would exist without William S. Burroughs in some, some way. Hmm. Hunter S. Thompson, you probably wouldn't have done certain things. And I don't know. I think go. that it's just like there is something in the uh, the ripple effect of certain really shocking things being put into the into the the culture by that man that appear like uh, in this song about that. <laughs> uh, it had it had to be like that. I was thinking about that though earlier though, Stephen, when we were talking about just like this album coming out in the middle of the '90s, like and and uh, going back to what we were talking about in the last episode, tracks of whack. Like man, like I like imagine like putting Zevon together with Walter Becker like under these circumstances. Like if you had some sort of like studio fucking ace Svengali wizard like that, able to realize an album full of songs like this. You know, that would have been amazing. Well, I mean, yeah. what we got already is amazing, but like, you know, I don't know. That that's my own kind of like rock and roll like fantasy uh, universe that I'm drafting for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's definitely something that I would, you know, along with my Robert Pollard and Warren Zevon hanging out fantasy. Also, yeah, Zevon hanging out with Walter Becker. Maybe get Donald Fagan in there. Let's just get well. all. Let's get Don and Wald and Bob Pollard and Zevon together. <laughs> you know, and let's get Bob Dylan in there too. This is all of our friends hanging out together. It's a beautiful great, thing. And we'll call the band the Traveling Wilburys. I just this, realized the Traveling Monkey Washers. <laughs> uh, I just realized Monkey Wash Donkey Rinse includes a reference to Twilight of the Gods. The phrase Twilight of the Gods. Which is also the name of the name of your book. One of my books. There so you go. I I love this song. Now, um, this is a good song. This is one of the better songs <laughs> on the record. I do too. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, I I like this song too. And and I didn't know about the uh, the jerking off thing. So I like it adds. more now. I like yeah, it absolutely. way more now. It's good. It's beautiful. Uh, I don't think that the song is about that necessarily. Like no, it, it's about. I don't know. It seems just kind of about. 
well, something it, else. It, it's referencing going to a party and like going to you know the, this fun event, and it doesn't really explain like what the event is. In the is. center of the right. earth, it's a... you can enjoy this song without knowing that it's about a monkey beating off a donkey. But that now that I do know that, uh, it just goes up the list of Warren Zevon songs for me. <laughs> um, so, and and does it go to the top of his monkey songs? I think the, so. It's better than mm, no, no, no. Monkey Alone. Gorilla, you're desperado. Still tip top number one. Big gorilla at the LA Zoo. Snatched the glasses right off my face. Took the keys to my BMW. Left me here to take his place. Was Gorilla, though, is that is that the... Are gorillas separate from monkeys, or are they just like a type of monkey? Uh, they're all primates. Primates is the okay, yeah. So it, I guess, depends if you're qualifying as a gorilla versus a monkey song, the, or just the primates. That's not a monkey catalog song. in general. I feel like monkey's got to be in the title. So monkey's gorilla. own category. This is better than leave my monkey alone. This is <laughs> what about high, high Tweeter bar. the monkey man? Ooh, well, you know, uh, now we're just talking about monkey songs of all time. <laughs> Of, yeah, of now we're talking artists. about best of all time monkey songs. Because <laughs> like Monkey Man is Monkey Man by the Rolling Stones, I think would be the uh, would be uh, Monkey in Your Soul by Steely Dan. And where does the monkeys and their whole catalog factor into this? That's true. That's a great point. Because are mon- all their songs sort of ostensibly about monkeys? Since well, starring maybe monkeys, you got to you got to di- differentiate between the monkeys with a Y and monkey with a double E. The double E. The final song is Mutineer on uh, (laughs) this album. One of his all-time songs. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, just the, uh, you know, using that imagery to describe, like, you know, courting someone or that you're going to, like, sweep them off their feet um, is so great. It's, like, a great example of him, like, taking something that would be threatening or violent in a different context and making it lovely. You know, that... I mean that that combination of beauty and ugliness it kind of exists throughout his career, and that is applied here. It's like a criminal act. You know, you take over someone's boat. You're, sure. You're, you're it's a crime on the high seas to be a mutineer. But here, yeah, it's so lovely, and um, his vocal too. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you we were talking about the vocals on this record, and it probably is helped by the fact that he's not, uh, you know, that he's just singing on his own you know he's not working with a i mean i guess he had an engineer and mixer duncan aldrich who co-wrote uh the monkey song on this record <laughs> that took a yeah. lot of work monkey, <laughs> monkey wash and donkey rinse <laughs> gotta, uh, you gotta, you gotta give him a shout out for the co-write on that oh there's a jason isbell cover of this song i didn't realize that yeah 
Yeah, he, I think he played it on Letterman. I think I think a bunch of people did Zevon covers for, before for Letterman. Letterman, right? Yeah, and uh, so Isabel and his wife did this song, I think, right. uh, before Letterman departed. Um, but his vocal, like the, how he hits that high note, you know, yeah. is, is mm. so sweet. It, it, this this song feels like if this whole record for someone who if there's someone who doesn't like this record, they're like, oh, why did he do this? This whole thing's a flop. I think that this song single-handedly shows that if he had to make all those songs just to make this one it's well worth it and i think we've shown that there's plenty of stuff to like besides that on this record but this song is really the like gem that came out of whatever he was working with at this time with this, yeah, just this, like a bolt of lightning this part of his creative uh, process this era whatever it is the, all of that um guy in a room with some midi keyboards or whatever it just actually is like moving on this it's incredible and that the, like sound the, that flute is, is that a flute that we're getting or is that some sort of like electronic it's like a, it's simulation a, of a yeah, flute or something it's electronic Oh man, and the the drums and this the bass guitar, man, it's just such a beautiful kind of soundscape. Like it literally sounds like you're just like out Out on the sea, yeah, looking into the. It's got a there you go place to be, looking for immortality. Yeah, and and I think he had some uh, some ringers playing on this track, like Larry Klein, Mm. famous bass player, uh, worked with Joni Mitchell a lot. Like he plays bass on this song, and uh, Jorge Calderon plays uh well no he doesn't play on this song but yeah the larry klein i feel like that really helps to finesse it gives it that underpinning of of soulfulness that some of the more synthetic sounds on this record don't necessarily have um but yeah i'm curious if when this song came to him during the process of making this record like if did he start with this song did he know this would be the centerpiece right or did it did it come later i mean he obviously named the record after the song he must have known that this was the the the, you know the jewel of the collection i'm curious like how that unfolded uh Mm -hmm. for him but yeah definitely one of the all-time zivon classics and uh yeah when dylan played this he played very moving Played it beautifully. He hit the. He kind of does the same thing. He hits the high notes on there. Yeah, it's, and it's so sweet and vulnerable. Like when Zevon does it, and when Dylan does it, because it's just someone reaching out of their range, right? And it has a bit of a crack to the voice to it. Like, like when Zevon played it on Letterman his last time on the show, and he was obviously weak from you know having cancer. That's even more poignant, you know, seeing him sing the song at yeah. that point in his life. 
just the pick also from Bob, like like him yeah, doing accidentally him like a martyr it. makes sense, you know, uh, if you're just going to like be a normal person covering a Zevon song. But like him selecting this song, to co- like just like says so much about like who he is and like how much kind of appreciation he has for Warren as yeah, an artist. That, that had to feel, I mean, for, for Zevon to feel like it's not like he just picked one of my like hits he actually thinks I'm a good songwriter. Like, I don't, I know that he was said to have been really moved by that, by, by Dylan coming around and doing that. And I think he also made a wry remark about, you know, you're about to die when Bob Dylan comes out to do one of your songs. Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I think it just shows, I mean, I think Dylan has always appreciated the craft of songwriting and when you hear yeah. him talk about other songwriters, it seems like those, those are the kinds of people that he ap- appreciates the most, like the mm-hmm. people that just um, really aren't like him. You know, someone that can just write a four-minute song and have it just be so well, like well written and rounded off. And um, you know, this is there's a simplicity to this song uh, that is so unlike Dylan you know like there's not a lot of words in this song but like right. he's he puts across so much um just like with the, with the metaphor of the song and uh you know it, I, I always think that's interesting with Dylan you know that he loves I think songwriters that just write like a great you know quick succinct song not a lot of words and then he is the guy who goes totally in the other direction. Yeah, it almost has it almost has something in common, I think, with like some of the picks that he has, like on the um, on the covers records, both the folk covers records and the standards covers records, where the, they're just so like dead simple, like almost feel like there wasn't even a songwriter to some of these songs. Like the, the song itself has just always existed. It's so perfect and simple and straight and pure, and that he gets to sort of reinterpret it um uh in his own kind of unique way because that should also be noted like that 2002 band like that whole era of never-ending tour just like honestly maybe that I, I don't know we've been on the mid-90s kick recently but the early 2000s shit the post love and step post love and theft shit was also like maybe maybe the heights uh that that he ever got in a live setting so it just sounds yeah. so perfect Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just the backing vocals from Larry Campbell and Charlie Sexton, mm-hmm. especially like on the accidentally like a murder, um, always get me. I mean, that's one of my favorite Dylan covers, like him singing someone else's song. Yeah, the accidentally like a murder, and that phrase that just seems like a Dylan esque turn of phrase. Totally, too, in yeah. A lot of ways. Uh, so, and I, I'll say too, like it was. I think it seems more obvious now to play that, but I don't think that was as much of an obvious Zevon cut in 2002. Right. You know, because we're at a point now like where other people have covered it. Like the War on Drugs covered it. Right. The phone don't ring. No. And the sun refused to shine. Never thought I'd have. Such a long, long time. Love, love, love. 
know, it seems like a go-to song, but um, I don't know. It's become that way. It's become yeah. one of the I, top because of yeah, things it, like it, that I'm happening. sure in part, yeah, thanks yeah. to Bob. Yeah. I really think, yeah, I, I wonder, I mean, I know Adam from The War on Drugs, like, he likes Zevon, but I wonder if, if Dylan hadn't covered that, if he would have picked that to cover. Right. I have to believe that there's some relationship there. Mm-hmm. It makes sense with, you know, what drugs sound like. I, we're just now getting to, to drugs two hours into this, so we can wrap this and, and not spend too much time on that. But I see some similarities between, like, Accidentally Like a Martyr and, like, um, Eyes to the Wind or, like, uh, Rings Around My Father's Eyes, even off the new record. Like, it's got that same kind of, like, really, like, stirring, um, you know, kind of uh, warm-hearted feeling to it. Yeah, or, or Born in Time, like which is what, you know, they've been covering this song Doing on this the new tour. tour. Yeah, so good. Uh, yeah, and it, it makes sense that they would cover a song. It came out in Under the Red Sky, but it was an Oh Mercy era song. And um, man, I wonder if the War on Drugs would ever make a record with Daniel Lanois. That'd be a pretty Boy. cool thing. That would. I don't. Be cool. I don't know that Adam and and Dan Lan could coexist in the same studio. I think that's no, probably too, not. That's too. That's too many big personalities in one room. He's got a good thing going on with Sean Everett and all that, but you know. Again, since we're doing fantasy right. music things, <laughs> I, I I would love to hear Lanois working there. I mean, you know, Lan. I mean, it couldn't be any more tense than him working with Dylan. That's a good point. I mean, that was a pretty tense situation both times, uh, but it somehow worked out. Well, but that part of part of why that works is because they each bring to each other something that the other lacks. It's like a yin and yang sort of thing between Bob and, and Lanois, but like Lanois yeah, versus it's, it's Adam, Lanois, who himself would, is such a studio <laughs> wizard. Like I feel like they're, they're just, you know. It, it would just create uh, a nuclear uh, fusion. It's it like would, Goku and Vegeta, yeah. you know, <laughs> powering up into Super Saiyan mode and exploding the entire world. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, by the time we get to Dragon Ball Z references and have had uh, multiple uh, Super Mario references, I think that's uh, that's time for us a signal that we're uh, we're we're running on fumes here. Thank you uh, so much for joining us, uh, Stephen. How many Steve. stars for Mutineer? Just on the record for everyone. I'd probably say two. Two stars. For me, Kevin. Oh, for Mutineer, three stars. But uh, for the record, uh, two stars. Two stars. All right. <laughs> Uh, you know, what? I'm gonna give it three stars. I love it. It's so weird and out of this world, and like you can't imagine any other artist besides this man at this particular moment in time making this uh, record. That's, so that, I know that that's like true in my heart on some level, but I don't know that I'm there yet. Even that's me. fair. I'm a sucker for Warren the same way that you're a sucker for Van. I uh, I mean, I support it. I mean, do you guys go half stars or no? Nope. You don't do half? Okay. The then. whole thing is a joke, the stars thing. No, how dare <laughs> but, you? <laughs> uh, but it's a joke that uh, you know we commit to as if it's not, so then you know is what? it a joke? It's not, I mean... I'm going to say three stars. Yes. Oh, three stars. Come on. All right, yeah. I, I've been uh, made to feel cast out, so I will also say three stars <laughs> out of uh, fear and shame. <laughs> A unanimous three-star album, yeah. Mutant, I, the same rating. As... I honestly, though, d- it, no, that's not. Don't even finish that sentence because that's not <laughs> how this works. The, the three stars here, it's. I think it. I feel comfortable doing this. But we all do it because we want people to listen to this record. And yes, if we absolutely. don't give, all give it three stars, they might think that they shouldn't listen to it, and that would be a shame. So 
Three stars, it is. Yeah, I think the songs get two stars, and it gets a star extra just for how singular it is in the catalog. And mm-hmm. as you were saying, I want people to listen to this album and give it yeah. a chance. Live with it. Go with it. You know. And, and if we're talking about Zevon albums, three stars definitely because it's one of those that are. It it really does stand. I think in a class of its own uh, in his work. Yeah, it's probably like the one. I want to. Uh, okay, I was just thinking of like post sentimental hygiene albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's a, that's a, that's like a different conversation. If you're going, I, for me, that one would have to be Life Will Kill You, just because I I think it's really, it's great. Good. I have a good. And I, I have so much history with that one. That's like my favorite post one. But otherwise, this is like. I don't know. This I think this there. is definitely the weirdest album that he made after Sentimental yeah. Hygiene. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's or the Transverse weir- City. It's the, well, I think it's even weirder than Transverse City, but maybe I have to go back to that one. No, I think um, you're right. I think it is a little weirder than Transverse City in some ways. Transverse and, City has a theme, and he sticks to the theme, and the theme is weird. This one is just kind of a weird thing. Yeah, Transfer City is like self-consciously weird. Like he he understands like this is a weird concept album, and this is just like there's an inherent natural weirdness to everything that's going on here that is. It kind of asks you to just put the pieces together yourself. Where it's like Transfer City, you can do an elevator pitch of it, and the record makes sense. It's like it's sort of about dystopian uh, themes. Okay, this one is like it's about. Uh, well, he's yeah. just, it, and I think just because he was kind of adrift at this time, and he seemed isolated from the music industry, he seems yeah. so far outside of what was going on. Um, it 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 makes me love it more, you know, because it totally. really feels like the, this is when he was the most outside, really, of I think in his whole career. So. That makes you. Do, that just makes me want to embrace it. So yeah, that. I mean, but Mr. Bad Example, I think, is a really good record too. I don't know. I listen to all the Warrens. It's records. good music, yeah. folks. But it's our, all our good music. Here, our work here is done because we've given you the the order and the the reason to go. Uh, <laughs> Go listen to Monkey Wash, Donkey Rinse. Donkey Rinse. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, do you have any uh, any plugs you want to do for the folks out there? Um, no, not at the moment. Right. I don't have any, but I'll I'll just plug Mutineer again. Listen to Mutineer. Mute, yeah. listen, okay, there's no. the plug. <laughs> Mutineer by Warren Zevon. <laughs> and, uh, and, and and then go to Stand in the Fire. I would have liked to have talked yeah. to Stand in the Fire. Oh. Uh, on, at on a later date, we can do that. We'll bring you back for that, yeah. One that of the great live albums of great all time. Great live albums of all time. Yeah. He looks like the devil on the cover, and he sounds like the devil. And he sounds like <laughs> Inside the record. <laughs> In the best way possible. Till next time. Excitable, Excitable boys. Boys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now performing the uh, aforementioned uh, Mutineer, which is featured on the Best of Warren Zevon uh, CD album entitled Genius. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Warren Zevon. <laughs>